Welcome back to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here uh, with uh, a special guest. We have Colonel Chris Mayer, uh, the Associate Dean for Strategy and Initiatives at West Point. Uh, Chris is also a philosopher uh, focused on future-ready leadership and leadership development, future of work, uh, future of education. He's a fantastic follow on LinkedIn. That's, that's how uh, we initially connected. And, uh, and he's actively uh, engaging uh, future military leaders in uh, working in the, the, the volatile, uncertain, uh, complex, and ambiguous world that we're all living in. Uh, so that's the VUCA acronym that we're gonna be uh, diving into uh, more fully. One last note is that the views expressed herein uh, are those of the author, uh, so in this case, Chris, and do not reflect the official or uh, official policy or position of the U.S. Military Academy, the Department of the Army, or the Department of Defense. Uh, so, Chris, that's quite an introduction. Uh, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Mike, and thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk about this topic. Yeah. So, um, like I was mentioning, uh, you know, Chris. Uh, you do a lot of thinking about where the world is heading and uh, you do that at, at, you know, as, a, as an individual, I, I guess you're, you know, you're a trained uh, philosopher uh, as well as a, a, a trained army officer. Um, but uh, a lot of what you and I have been talking about coming into this is about how the world uh, has changed since uh, maybe the cold war era when uh, strategic planning and, thinking about the future uh, was less volatile and, uh, and uncertain and all the things we were talking about. Uh, that's where this VUCA acronym, uh, you know, sort of emerged. And, uh, and that's been something that, uh, you know, you've been focused on. And then you shared with me uh, the first chapter of a really, really interesting book, uh, you know, the, by, uh, by Bob Johansson, uh, which is uh, the new the new leadership literacies, uh, which is talking about how uh, the way we should think about leadership has changed because the world has changed as it's become more volatile, uh, uncertain, complex, uh, and ambiguous. So I learned the acronym. So I at least right. did that that level of prep. Right. Um, can you can you talk to us a little bit about what VUCA is and why it's relevant uh, to teaching leadership today? No, thanks. No, that's a good question. Um, it's the idea that, that um, you know, as you encounter the world, that traditional planning um, is not sufficient to be successful, to thrive in the world, that, uh, that change is happening so quickly now that you, you really have to uh, and you can't predict it, you can be ready for it, but you can't predict it, mm -hmm. that you really have to apply a, a new approach to leadership mm -hmm. and a new approach to, um, to preparing organizations to, to move ahead. And, mm -hmm. and this type of leadership isn't um, the traditional command and control hierarchical, but it's, Johansson talks about uh, shape shifting organizations and, mm -hmm. and really he's, he's asking leaders to in some ways be futurist and, and, to, and to help their organizations look into the future and then kind of from possible futures they see to, uh, to help the organizations uh, change and, and prepare. And again, not being able to predict, but just be ready for the future. Yeah, and um, 
It definitely, uh, you know, it, it's something we talk about a lot on this show, which is about, uh, you know, trying to understand trends in, uh, in education. One thing we haven't spent a ton of time on is leadership development. And uh, that in many ways is, is really the thrust of, of your focus, uh, if I'm right. So can you, can you talk a little bit about how, what leadership development is and how you think about it and how you, uh, you have engaged with it historically and how you're thinking about um, really the future of leadership development? Sure, I mean, we, you know, at West Point, we ground everything in character um, and we think that that's essential for ensuring that you're headed in the right direction and, and living by organizational values. Mm -hmm. But um, I mean, for us, what it means is that we're, we're preparing future officers and we're, we're providing a foundation and we can't, we can't teach them everything that they're going to encounter. Like for instance, technology, it's changing so rapidly. We can't teach them um, what to expect in five and 10 years, mm -hmm. but we're really developing a foundation of, of being open-minded, uh, being adaptable, being uncomfortable with uncertainty and being able to, um, to make decisions within that space of uncertainty and mm -hmm. volatility. And, and in many ways it, it takes the shape of a traditional curriculum, but it, you know, it's, it's how you communicate the expectations of what at least our graduates will do after they graduate and the environment they'll enter into. It's, um, it is providing them, especially in training with, um, with scenarios that, that challenge them and, and make them make decisions without complete information mm -hmm. or almost too much information. But even in the classroom, it's using um, examples that, that, uh, that may be on the technological edge, maybe the idea of weaponized information and how you'd respond to that, mm -hmm. or even um, just as a philosopher, uh, thought experiments that make them uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, the traditional trolley problem where mm -hmm. um, you talk about, would you, would you pull a lever to, to kill one to save five right? and, um, and just getting them to, to really just be comfortable making decisions in the space of uncertainty. Yeah. And really we're, I mean, the big thing we're focused on now is ensuring that after graduation, they're continuing to learn, um, continuing to recognize that what they learned here as leaders, they'll need to continue to learn. And it won't always be residential mm -hmm. or won't always be, um, organizationally provided, but that right. they go out and, and, uh, and learn new things and to really read a lot and yeah. discuss a lot with others. Yeah. And you do seem, at least uh, from what I've seen from you on LinkedIn, like you do seem to be modeling that behavior um, yourself because uh, you do seem uh, really plugged into what's emerging in sort of the futurist space, um, particularly around um, strategic planning and uh developing leaders. Uh, I think you mentioned this maybe during our prep. I really liked the turn of phrase, but, you know, uh, teaching, teaching leaders how to think, not what to think. Um, right. Can you talk a little bit about that? Right. So, I mean, we have a tremendous, um, a very robust core curriculum where they have 27 required courses. Mm -hmm. And it's not a menu item like, like many, but it's the same, the same economics course, same philosophy course that they all take. Yep. And really, um, they are exposed to philosophical ideas, uh, ideas in economics, but it's really getting uh, used and, and exposed to how economists think, how philosophers think, and, um, and bringing these different perspectives 
in themselves to challenges that they face. But then also as they go into depth in a particular discipline, bringing that expertise they develop into a group where you have a shared understanding of, like I may not be an engineer, but um, I've taken three engineering courses, so I understand how engineers think. Mm -hmm. And so we can communicate um, and really confront this seemingly unsolvable problem and address it together. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me uh, as a Star Trek fan. It, it did. It took me immediately to the the, the Kobayashi Maru test, uh, which uh, was when, you know, uh, James uh, Tiberius Kirk was placed in uh, a scenario that was supposedly no win, and uh, you know the, the 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 clever little joke there is that he hacked the scenario uh, generator to actually enable a winning scenario. But, uh, but I, what I found uh, interesting about that example is that in many ways you want to understand how a leader will perform in, a, in an extremely adverse scenario. And mm -hmm. I think frequently uh, when you go into a planning phase uh, and in a, in a management setting, in a corporate setting, you're doing a lot of strategic planning, frequently you're thinking about how um, you know, everything will go according to plan. Right. And, uh, and we all know that that's, uh, that's, that's unrealistic. Um, it, it's typically helpful. Uh, I did mention, uh, you know, there is a, a book called Farsighted by Stephen Johnson, uh, which I read recently, which was pretty interesting, where it talks about uh, trying to make long-term uh, strategic decisions. Um, and interestingly, a lot of that did move into a scenario-based mode of thinking, which is something that I think is very uh, central to uh, West Point's curriculum, the things that, that you're teaching, and then also uh, the War College, which is right. uh, really where uh, Bob Johansson uh, had his experience that then led to this book uh, that we're uh, referring to. Um, I think there's a lot to be said for scenario-based thinking. And then in Farsighted, uh, Stephen Johnson recommends uh, always thinking about good scenarios, bad scenarios, and weird scenarios. Right. So that, and uh, the weird one is kind of funny, but it's almost like, um, you know, expect the unexpected. And I imagine when you're designing some of these uh, scenarios and thought experiments, uh, frequently you need to bring in something outside of what might be normally uh, preconceived and then see how uh, the learner sort of grapples with that and ideally can respond in a timely and uh, decisive way. Um, could you talk a little bit about the, the scenario-based aspect of this? Uh, I think it does blend a little bit into um, simulations and gaming, which I also thought was a really uh, interesting aspect of, uh, of what uh, was in the, the new leadership literacies uh, right. book. But, but can you talk about like, you know, cause I imagine that's a big part of uh, military training is being able to understand scenarios and potential scenarios so that should they arise, you're not, you don't freeze up. You actually know how to be responsive and present and uh, able to make good decisions. No, it, it's very much a part of um, both the training and military that cadets get here and then they'll, that they'll take their units through. Um, we have the, uh, many training centers, like the National Training Center, where they, they really do fight a mini war. Mm -hmm. And the idea is um, to throw things at them that they didn't expect. I mean, and the, they throw uh, civilians on the battlefield. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not always a, a standard military on military fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really what we hope by going through these scenarios that they, they come to expect and learn that the world isn't, you know, it's very, the unexpected will happen that, mm-hmm. um, what they learned in, in preparation for the exercise, the scenario, um, there'll be something that's unexpected. And so it's, and, and it's not to cause, um, the idea that you should not plan, but it's the idea to be ready and be, to be adaptable. But then, um, really the important part is as they go through those and as they, they make decisions and take their organizations, um, as they try to resolve problems that they encounter is to get feedback. The army is very big on after action reviews yeah. and asking why you made a particular decision mm-hmm. and then, um, you know, giving leaders and, and organizations a chance to reflect on what they did and what they can learn from what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then using that to, to better prepare mm-hmm. and, um, Really, outside of the military context, I've, I've seen a lot of people talk about the value of science fiction. Mm-hmm. A lot of corporations now are having um, uh, people come in and, and write scenarios that are future-based and then looking at those scenarios and thinking, what does that mean for us today? I mean, it doesn't, they're not predicting the future, but they're, they're developing um, possible futures mm-hmm. and then walking backwards and, and thinking, how can we best be ready to, um, to take advantage of that. Yeah. And um, you know, Johansson talks about, um, you know, dilemma flipping. And, mm-hmm. and I think with scenarios, you see that, you see, wow, this is a really tough problem, but he talks about flipping the dilemma as much as possible into an opportunity mm-hmm. or, or maybe an opportunity and a threat. And I think through scenarios, you really see how that's possible. And you, if done properly, you, you learn and get the idea that you may never see this scenario again, but what you've learned to do is to deal with the unexpected yeah. and the best of it. Yeah, and it reminds me, I mean, uh, it reminds me a lot of what I've read about creativity as well, where like, you know, generally when you're uh, trying to solve problems and trying to instill creativity within your team, it's frequently beneficial to uh, look for multiple ways to solve a problem rather than think about the single best. Right. Um, and I think that's sort of the evolution of thinking uh, that I'm picking up on out of a lot of this is that if you're trying to overfit to sort of an optimal scenario, right. once you go, because life will happen, uh, uncertainty is out there, uh, wacky variables are always ready to manifest themselves. And if you, if you can only operate in sort of that perfectionist uh, everything goes exactly according to plan uh, when something, I mean, I think about the, um, the SEAL team six operation uh, where, where like a, you know, a helicopter was lost, you know, like that's something that uh, the planning going in is uh, probably thinking about the pre-mortem as well. Like what could, what could go wrong. And, and even if the exact thing that goes wrong is not what you had anticipated, you're at least going in with the situational awareness that things that I'm not expecting to go wrong will go wrong. And my job as a leader is to be aware, responsive, and then sort of flexible in my thinking so that we still can accomplish the mission. 
you know, the Army has a couple sayings, which is nice because it does, it, it just puts people um, in that mindset that, uh, that no plan survives first contact with the enemy mm-hmm. and that the enemy has a vote. So yeah, you, yeah. you can have the best plan in the world, but the enemy has a vote on how that plan plays out. Yeah. And so it's, in some ways it's built into our, our ethos of, of um, kind of being adaptable. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and also built into your ethos is cool acronyms. So right. I did, I did want to at least mention uh, the Army also responsible for FUBAR and SNAFU, which are right. two of my, uh, my favorites, uh, maybe because of the, the FU part. Uh, <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll try to keep it clean. Right. Um, but, but VUCA is certainly interesting. And uh, honestly, like, uh, you know, uh, you, you, you whetted my appetite with uh, that first chapter of... Uh, of Bob Johansson's book, uh, The New Leadership Literacies. Uh, I really do want to dig in further, but, uh, but I thought we could maybe touch on some of the ideas that are, are outlined there. Um, one of the things that, uh, that he begins with is uh, sort of five uh, components to uh, what he thinks makes sense in terms of training uh, future leaders. And I'll run through the list uh, real quickly and maybe get, get, some, uh, get some of your thoughts on it. One is to learn uh, to look backwards from the future. Uh, And in that case, the future is frequently 10 years into the future. So like right now we would be thinking about where might we be by uh, by 2030, uh, which is really beyond where, you know, strategic planning in organizations typically is somewhere in the three to five year range if you're doing it right. So like spanning that time horizon to, to 10 years, I think is really interesting. The second one is uh, voluntarily engage in fear, uh, which is like a, a kind of provocative uh, frame there. But I, but I think that's uh, the importance of scenario-based thinking, wargaming, some of the things that, that we, we discussed just now. Um, embrace the shape-shifting organizations, which, uh, which you talked about earlier, Chris, so that that's more, uh, you know, the world is just rapidly moving towards more distributed, uh, decentralized organizational structures rather than the traditional hierarchical command and control. Um, that's where, um, you know, really post 9-11 is where a lot of this stuff really picked up. And that's where you think about a lot of these uh, terrorist organizations. Uh, it's not as clear that uh, there is a command center that you knock out and then victory is yours. Uh, frequently, there's ways for those sort of uh, non-hierarchical structures to kind of like metastasize and perpetuate and be a lot harder very resilient yeah Yeah, exactly so in some ways um you know the wargaming requires us to adopt some of the structural thinking that that those organizations have adopted there's also you know there is the model of uh holacracy which we've talked about at times where like there are organizational uh structures that are emerging that uh that i think are similarly uh distributed and non-hierarchical and that that's an interesting trend that we have talked to a few folks about on this show and i I thought that there's potentially some some ties in there uh number four is uh be there even when you're not there so that's uh you know expand beyond the limitations of face-to-face management face-to-face leadership understand that you need to be able to lead uh when you're not in the same physical space even when you're not necessarily communicating in real time it's a lot to talk about there uh, and then the fifth one I thought was really interesting, which is to create and sustain uh, positive energy. Uh, and that's, that's hugely relevant to a lot of the things that we talked about here, but particularly around social and emotional learning, uh, understanding that, you know, the whole 
the whole officer, the whole leader, it needs to engage in an authentic way with the folks that they're leading and mustering the energy and sort of the, the, the psychological power, I guess, to, to be positive even in really dangerous and negative scenarios. Um, that one in particular I was interested in, but I don't know if you wanted to, uh, sure. to, to dig in on any of this. No, and, and I think I mean I think his first uh, principle there, learn to look backwards from the future. Mm -hmm. Does he? He's a futurist, and he thinks that uh, uh, that that approach is it's much uh, more fruitful than, like you said, the tradi traditional strategic planning three to five years out. Yeah, and he says in some ways um, that that's actually easier to work that far out rather than um, closer out. Because as you look for signals and, and put them together, um, you're not trying to predict as three to five years, but you're you're just trying to be ready. And in some ways, that's much easier. Mm -hmm. um, and I've heard someone from his uh, the Institute for the Future talk about as you look ten years out, you have um, strong opinions lightly held. Mm -hmm. So um, you're always open-minded, willing for them to change. Um, but uh, using that to help guide the organization and help prepare the organization. Mm -hmm. But what I really like, and I think is especially um, useful for leadership in the civilian world, is this idea of um, of being there when you're not there. Mm -hmm. And he and he goes through in the book, and you know, with the idea of remote work, the idea of um, you know gig work, people working that aren't really with your company. You know, traditionally, big corporations had someone there who was 30 years. Yeah, and then they retired, got a gold watch, and left. Mm -hmm. um, but now we're seeing people um, either not being at the office, right. maybe part of the company or not part of the company and not at the office or at the office, not part of the company really, but a contractor. Yeah. And so he, I mean, he really makes a thoughtful analysis of, of leaders selecting the best way to communicate to their teams. And he, he talks about same time, same place, different time, different place, mm -hmm. same time, different place. I mean, he, he goes through all these and, and, um, because of course, culture and cohesion are important and getting everyone headed in the same direction and committed to the mission of the organization is essential, yeah. even if you have remote workers. Right, right. Of course, it's much harder because you're not looking at them face to face. Sure. Traditional sense. Yeah. Um, so I, I found that um, that really helpful mm -hmm. uh, for today's for today's environment. Yeah. And, and finally, the, the, the last thing, the creating positive energy, he stresses again and again, the leader faced with this um, uncertain world mm -hmm. kind of being the messenger of hope that, yes. look, we may not be able to predict the future, but we can, um, we can get ready for it and we can move the organization forward. Mm -hmm. and, and really thinking about, I know a lot of um, civilian colleges now are thinking about leadership and yep. thinking about the future of work. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, really that, that's, uh, that's not something you, you know, you learn and, get on a multiple choice test this idea of how to inspire hope yeah it is something that that's essential that uh that leaders will need in the future yeah it it that one particularly struck me uh also just as someone who's worked with folks uh, at different points in their career uh one of the things uh that that i've read a bunch about is how the rising generations uh in particular gen z and millennials um are uh really expecting to be inspired right 
otherwise they're you know they they may not stay with your organization they may not even come to your organization to begin with and uh at the same time they're also looking for authenticity so like i think mm -hmm. there is you know there's an element of it which may be faking it until you make it but like i think that there's there's an aspect of it that is um it needs to be authentic like like i mm -hmm. and and i think that's the subtle art of um of of genuine leadership uh and i think increasingly that's what distinguishes uh you know the missionaries versus the mercenaries like the people who are in an organization right. because they care about it uh you know those folks want to be led but i think the way in which leadership manifests nowadays is a little more subtle and uh right. more about soft skills and authenticity uh, so that one um, that one, I, I, I really, uh, that one resonated, they all resonated with me and yeah. I, and I do want to get into more that's in here, but, but that, that just seemed like a next level insight. Yeah. And I think, I think colleges are, you know, by, by focusing a lot on getting their students out of the classroom and getting them to apply what they've learned and, and in many cases doing it with, um, you know, community organizations that are tackling tough problems. Yeah. They, um, well, one, they learn to apply what they've learned in the classroom. So, um, you know, sort of the creativity you gain by studying poetry and dealing with that ambiguity, mm -hmm. take out and, and work with a community organization trying to tackle a tough problem. Mm -hmm. But they also see leadership in that context and the, the idea that um, these community organizations working on very tight budgets, mm -hmm. working on problems that aren't going to go away in a week or a year, um, they, they see it modeled and, yeah. and hopefully they internalize that and see themselves as being that one day. Yeah. And it's also like, you know, trying to understand how to find that place within yourself as a leader to, to change the frame, you know, like it's freak, like I've heard uh, the, there's a Martin Luther King uh, quote, uh, you know, you want to be the thermostat, not the thermometer, you know? So like, you're mm -hmm. not just reading the spirit of the troops and the, 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 the sort of the vibe of your team and sort of buying into it. It's like you're driving the emotional health of your team and it's up to you to not break bad and to understand that there are always places to find hope um i just found that uh, uh inspirational um moving on just within the um within the chapter the other thing that uh the two other things i wanted to talk quickly about one is there's this quote uh where, where he says we're twisting towards uh, distributed everything uh which mm -hmm. uh, which i think is a nice turn of phrase which is is basically there's increasing speed, frequency, scope, and scale of disruption. There's explosive connectivity uh, coming that's even uh, more than what we have today. And uh, there's what he calls a asymmetric uh, upheaval. So like there's very few patterns of uh, clear patterns of disruption. Uh, and then in response to that, um, again, wonderful turn of phrase. He says, you know, you want clarity of direction and flexibility of action you know know where to go but be open about how to get there and um i think that um that that is a nice sort of way of en encapsulating some of the sort of emerging thinking about about leadership um any thoughts on that yeah no um it's interesting and and i don't know if his time at the war college um learning about mission command inspired that, but the army has a, a philosophy called mission command. Mm -hmm. And what is this, what is defined as is the exercise of authority 
and direction by the commander using mission orders, so saying what the mission is, to enable disciplined initiative within the commander's intent to empower agile and adaptive leaders in the conduct of unified land operations. And the commander's intent is really a clear and concise expression of the purpose of the operation mm -hmm. and the desired end state. Mm -hmm. And so I think in some ways he is um, overlapping with that idea of um, you know, kind of set direction of where you want to go, what you want to achieve, but be flexible in how you get there. Mm -hmm. But it, it does require that um, you have agile and adaptive leaders yeah. who are capable of exercising, not just initiative, but disciplined initiative. Yeah. yeah. And they take prudent risk. Um, and of course, all those words are loaded, right? Yeah, sure. you need, um, that's a lot of it's judgment and 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 there's, there's often a danger with giving, you know, too much freedom, especially to inexperienced leaders. But, yeah. um, you know, we found that this idea of mission command is, um, it allows better outcomes in the end because the people on the ground know um, what works, as long as they're well-trained and prepared. Yeah. You know what works, as long as they know what the end state is and what the, what the higher-ups want. Yeah. I'll it think was it's up to them. Yeah, it was interesting. It, it, you know, it, what resonated with me too, there, there's stuff in, in here also about uh, the importance of uh, engaging diverse perspectives. And, um, mm -hmm. and I, frequently, um, I frequently do think about the military as a place where uh, diversity and inclusion is, is more directly addressed. And then good leadership, um, you know, what I'm reading more in the, the private sector, uh, is is benefiting from the diversity of perspectives and allowing for uh for each party to sort of provide their unique value and uh, i hadn't until i was reading through this really made as as strong a connection to that's very much how the military operates so so any any yeah. thought yeah anything to add there it is no i mean i think um i think it's especially important not just for the military but for everyone in yep. today's world where there's actually much more information than there was 30 years ago. Like everyone um, becomes a source of information through LinkedIn, mm -hmm. Facebook. Um, but I, I think we're tending to, uh, in some ways, only only be only listen to, only receive information that um, kind of agrees with our yeah. our view. Mm -hmm. You know, as as friends on Facebook or, or news sources start to adjust to what you, you're reading. Yeah. Um, so I think Johansson's call for these diverse perspectives is, a, is essential because you have to remain open-ended or minded. Yeah. And he talks about not becoming too wedded to a particular point of view. Yes. But, and, which makes sense in a world that's constantly changing. If you if you're, have one perspective that you're, you're using all the time and you're not listening to diverse perspectives and being willing to change, then you and your organization will run into problems. And of course the military, yeah, the, the, the military always seeks to have um, you know, frank open discussions. Mm -hmm. in, in wargaming, we always have a, a, a team that's kind of the devil's advocate to yep. try to challenge um, and make you defend your proposed course of action. Yeah. But I, but I think this point is, I mean, is even much broader than than leadership almost. Uh, mm -hmm. And I hope you know, colleges, universities are encouraging um, people to, to listen to diverse views. And, and, and maybe in the end, you come back to what you believe, but to really seriously uh, consider and evaluate differing opinions.
Yeah, and uh, it was. Uh, it's why I appreciate you putting yourself out there as someone with with ideas that that are relevant within within the military context. But uh, but one of the things uh, you know, as a sort of a future facing uh, podcast, we we frequently try to find insights from adjacencies and figure out how they can translate into a broader context. And I think there's, you know, I was struck as I was preparing for this, reading through some of this stuff and, and sort of looking at the things that you're sharing that um, frequently like significant insights are coming out of uh, the, the, the military uh, mindset and the scenario planning in a post 9-11 world. And like not all of that has necessarily permeated out into the rest of the educational ecosystem. So, uh, so that's why it's a credit to you that you're, you're, you're trying to expand uh, access to some of the insights uh, that, that are generally more built into um, the military education. And then the flip side also seems to be true that like there are, there are emerging ideas around, uh, you know, thought leaders, thinking about building teams, thinking about uh, establishing ways to be creative, et cetera, that need to be incorporated into uh, educating leaders and educating folks within the military. Um, do you have any thoughts on that, just on how, um, how uh, some of these ideas maybe uh, don't get broad enough uh, reach? Um, it, I mean, one idea that I think that, that I've, I've been reading a lot about uh, and it's been more of the civilian sector, mm -hmm. business sector, is this idea of, of um, you know, forming and leading human robot teams. Yes. And, you know, I've seen a couple of studies that are very interesting and, and, and conflicting. I mean, one um, showed that, that workers were sabotaging robots because they were jealous and fearful of losing their jobs. Yeah. But in, in another country, they were actually almost too attached to them, that they were calling them, they name them and they, yeah. they're, they're, they're friends. Right. And, and actually you sometimes see that in the military with some of the, the robots we use. Right. Um, another study showed that, and, and it differed by, by country, but a uh, majority of people said they prefer a robot boss. I saw so, that, yeah. Yeah. I might've might seen you share that, in fact. That was fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and then part of it was, look, that robots aren't, they're not grumpy. They don't, they don't get tired. They're not right. biased. Yeah. They're fair, which yeah. isn't, isn't exactly true. We know with AI, there's problems with uh, bias, but they did say that humans, um, you know, better coaches and that they, they can actually have conversations and they like their bosses. Yeah. I think, and I think those studies really suggest that, um, I think for any leadership that we really need to think about how we integrate technology into organizations but also using it in ways that that make leaders better and yes. and hopefully eventually that people won't say that they prefer robot bosses but that they prefer that their leaders use technology mm -hmm. and and versus one that doesn't so mm -hmm. that maybe the leader makes fairer decisions and and brings in better information to make decisions but then they still value sort of the uniquely human aspect of leaders, the coaching, the, the interpersonal connection. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I, yeah, I think it was a, a bit troubling to see that, that so many people, um, and of course, I think if you really did switch to robot bosses, people would react to, no one really likes the boss all the time. So yeah. it might've been a reaction to just their latest encounter with their boss, but 
But I really think how leaders think about just leading ro ro robot human teams is going to be a big area that we deal with the next 10 years. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You, you, you had me at robots. Uh, we, yeah, yeah. we, we loved, we love talking about that. And we also, um, you know, the, the narrative element of robot overlords and science fiction, um, I think can, can in fact be somewhat damaging. Um, right. and then, and then also, um, the, the related point though, is like the evolution of what it means to be human as right. a lot of the tasks that, uh, that used to be human powered are becoming automated, whether through robots or just through automation in general. Um, and then that, you know, that's another area that I know you have uh, plenty of thoughts on because I've seen you share uh, quite a few articles about this stuff. But like, that's also where um, the skills and competencies that uh, humans should be focused on developing are changing and that's another place where that that sort of 10-year horizon this stuff becomes hugely relevant then like you know i just you know i have a 10-month-old at home and uh you know it'll be two 10-year horizons before he's probably entering the workforce and uh that the nature of work in 20 years like it's going to be so profoundly different than what it is today primarily because of automation but at the same time, like, you know, the much will still be human powered. And then the, the blending of what is human and what is automated is the, is the space that's, that's right. super interesting. Cause like, where do you, um, what sort of skills do you want to bet on for like a long-term time horizon? And that's when you land more in, you know, the adaptability, ability to make uh, critical have some critical thinking applied to novel situations that you can make decisions. It's also where ethics is becoming uh, increasingly interesting. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, it, it, I mean, it presents such a challenge for uh, educators, you know, either uh, secondary, post-secondary, primary. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, th I mean, I think you're right that it, it's going to be things that uniquely human skills like adaptability, communication, Mm -hmm. a connection between and, and and I think a lot of people are saying that it's not necessarily knowing like everyone doesn't know need to know to learn how to code mm -hmm. because I mean in the future coding might be done by might be automated as well but it maybe it's more of a an understanding of, of technology itself and and how to keep up with it and integrate it into your work um, but then, of course, again, working on these these uniquely human skills, and then, but still being able to to think about how. So, if you're relying upon a, a machine to make a decision, mm -hmm. how do you audit that decision, mm -hmm. and how do you keep up with um, to ensure that the the process the machine was designed to do is being performed, and the, the data being input is is um, important. Um, so that's going to be essential too. But no, I think you're right. I think um, just trying to keep up with what it is that people need to be able to do in 20 years mm -hmm. is going to be the, the big challenge for educators. Yeah. And again, a lot of it's going to be the, these uniquely human skills. Yeah. And I, I love that. I was going to go right where you went around decision-making too. So like, you know, the, the power of algorithms is is wonderful, but it also can be disempowering in a dangerous way if we are basically seeding um, 
the entirety of our agency to uh, something external, um, which particularly for leaders, uh, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of complexity and subtlety to when do I want to leverage uh, non-human agents to right. give me, give me inputs, give me, uh, give me direction. Um, that's one thing. A second level of that is to then see the, the decision-making to the external uh, agent, the external intelligence. And then, uh, and then I think the third level, which, which I think is, is hugely dangerous is not doing the audit that you were describing. Mm -hmm. So like, I, I, for me, you know, hashtag team human, not particularly comfortable, you know, like when YouTube sends me something, uh, I'm like, nah, I'm going to go my own direction. And I turn right. my spell, like my, I embrace my typos, you know, like, I, I feel like that's, right. that's, so that's sort of, that's, that's who I am. But, um, but I've been, I've, I've been really fascinated by this stuff. And I, I, I you know, I'd, I'd love to continue the conversation with you. Cause like, uh, you really, uh, you've been in, uh, somewhat inspirational to me in the, the short time I've been tracking you, like, you know, just continuing to lean into this complexity and grapple with it and uh, try to share some of these topics and ideas. Uh, we're pretty close to time. Um, any, uh, any parting thoughts, any, any other, uh, other ideas to get out there uh, as we're wrapping up? I mean, just, just a, two quick things. Um, you know, we just bought a new van and it, it's got the lane correction Mm -hmm. that um, automatically makes the decision to swerve back into the lane. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's a bit um, disconcerting, you know, cause mm -hmm. you're, you're losing, you've lost the control and you've lost the, and so deciding whether to keep it on or off is, yeah. is a decision in itself. But I think, I mean, one thing I should have mentioned um, as, as children grow up and, and even in, as they go to post-secondary education, obviously learning is going to be very important. Um, both the, uh, knowing that you need to continue to learn, but also being able to learn and, and being able to maybe learn something just enough. Mm. So you're not becoming expert in it, but that you have a basic understanding. Mm -hmm. And so kind of inspiring this idea of lifelong learning across education will be very important, but, it, but it's challenging, of course. Yeah, uh, we could go on and on because now I was ready to talk about unlearning and other ideas right. for those of us right. as we get as we get older. I think uh, you and I might have gone back and forth a little bit on that on LinkedIn too, because like, um, you know, it's lifelong learning is critical, but then that also means relearning and unlearning stuff you learned earlier in your life. Right. Um, it's one of those places where uh, getting trying to trying to put a little bow on top of this whole thing. You know, I think. Uh, it's great to find folks like yourself who are modeling a positive frame around this too, to get back to Johansson's idea where like, it's the world is so complicated, it's very VUCA, but, uh, but also uh, there are places to find hope and inspiration uh, amidst all this complexity. And, um, and I just wanted to thank you, uh, Chris, for, uh, for taking the time, wonderful conversation. Um, if folks want to understand more about this, any, any thoughts on, uh, uh, on where you might direct them? Yeah, I, th I think um, following this idea of uniquely human skills, um, there's a lot being written on it. A lot of businesses are saying like, that this is the area that they need to develop their employees in. And I think, as you mentioned, that's going to be what educators are, a lot of what they're focusing on. And, and so I think just those areas are the big things. Awesome. Uh, so Colonel, Colonel Chris Mayer uh, out of West Point, uh, wonderful follow on LinkedIn, uh, really great thinker. If you can get exposed to his thoughts, that's, 
I'd recommend it. Uh, same thing uh, to Bob Bob Johansson's work, the new new leadership literacies. There it is. New, right, I nailed, right. nailed it. Uh, Chris, wonderful time. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. Thanks and, for having me, Mike. I really enjoyed it. Enjoy, yeah. Enjoy your program. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. And uh, to our listeners, uh, thanks again for listening. We'll be back uh, on our regular cadence. Uh, so follow us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Trending in Ed, on Facebook, the same. And uh, we'll be back again soon on Trending in Education. Thank you.